0: Oh, from there. Okay, I am talking today with Harriet Fisher, and she is the president of the Bowdoin Student Government. She is a senior who is a government and legal studies major and an education minor. She's from Brooklyn, New York, and she is also the student director at the Women's Resource Center at Bowdoin. So we're going to go through three major questions that will wind our way through and they are, what's most important to you? What does a liberal arts education mean to you? And what do you wish your professors knew about you? And I'll make sure I'm the one who keeps us moving along with those. So, what's most important to you?
1: Right now, something, as I'm spending the summer here at Bowdoin, about to become a senior and leave this sort of path that I think all of us have been on a lo- educational path we've all been on for a long time that tells us what the next step is at each step of the way that keeps us in the academic calendar and in this sort of routine that we've come so accustomed to building my own sense of routine has become really important to me and a challenge that I'm definitely grappling with this summer of just having having a Job and having responsibilities and things I need to accomplish, but being able to decide um, when I see people and what becomes part of my routine and my part of my day, and um, you know that I can eat dinner at eight p m by myself if I want, or that I have the freedom to take a yoga class in the middle of the day, but also that I have a looming project, and I think it's sort of this funny time that a lot of us are experiencing mm-hmm. of yeah of, of realizing what that freedom will mean. And what leaving this like sort of bubble of an academic and socially like totally socially and academically and work intertwined environment will mean for us.
0: That's interesting to me that you see moving into the world of work as more free. Yeah. Because I feel I think that I remember being at this point of transition and thinking, I'll never be this free again um because I may have to work nine, nine to five. five and 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 that um I won't have a two week spring break yet yeah. a one month winter break so what feels
1: freeing to you I, I could I totally see where that sentiment comes from but I think there's something exciting even in that assuming we can all keep a work-life balance and if you work a 9 to 5, your phone's not ringing at, you know, whatever, 9 p.m. at night and you're still responding to it, but that if we're, that, that that 5 p.m. brings us sort of freedom in a way that when you're at Bowdoin, like, you can't ever really escape the work that you have to do when you're doing that in the same social space that you're with your, fr- like, that your dining environment is the same as your social environment, is the same as your work environment, and that that's so wonderful, but I think f- more than four years of it would be really exhausting and there's something about like, the way that life after Bowdoin seems a little more compartmentalized that's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: What are some of the things that have to be part of your routine? Right, so you were talking about yeah. I need to create, you know, I'm experimenting with creating a routine for you, myself. Are So what are, are there some components I think that I'm have to be to present? Figure that out. Yeah.
1: It's, so what have you played with any to see? I like to be outside every day. I like to go on yeah walk in the commons or go on a run. I like to have really slow mornings. I like I would rather wake myself up earlier than than I'd <laughs> I'd rather get up earlier and like make coffee and turn on. It sounds probably like I'm sixty five, but um, and turn on NPR <laughs> like <laughs> move through my morning really slowly. Put on your depends undergarments exactly and yes. <laughs> exactly and take on the day, um, and f- and seeing people and finding time to make meals with people and spend time really talking to people, um, in, in yeah in like sort of a one on one environment. I really I really enjoy that and I think that I don't get to do it as much at Bowdoin because it's so easy to become. I love being in groups of people, but it's so easy for things to become kind of a swarm of everyone's free and everyone's present and everyone lives four doors away from each other and so we all do everything at once together mm-hmm. and it's kind of nice to have. You know.
0: And I think one of the things that was, I'm just remembering that was hard for me moving from, even when I moved off campus, I lived off campus my senior year and then moved you know, then moved away from camp, moved out of the city where I was at, in school but I remember even just it being an adjustment to be intentional about hanging out with people rather yes. than just having like folks They're not always present. It's,
1: yeah. That is a real fear that I have that right now it's so easy because we're all right. We're all so here. We're all here. But even realizing now I have friends who are in DC for the summer in California and Chicago and Austin and New York, then that's gonna become such a reality and that you don't have the privilege of just being yeah. A door yeah, two doors down. Do you have a sense of where you'd like to live? I think I remember talking to friend when I first came to Bowdoin, like not being able to ever imagine not going back to New York, and I th- there are still so many things that I miss about New York when I'm here. But I think I realize a lot of those are connected to I miss public transportation really deeply. I think more than public transportation and, and yeah, more than many other things, that ability to be able to move around with With everybody together at once and to be able to open my book and not have to be so, you know, sort of have that intensity. of. I mean, I'm a new driver, so I'm really sort of tense about it all (laughs) the time. (laughs) Um, But I think there are a lot more different cities that I see myself living in Mm. that I never would have, that it took coming here. And getting to to spend time in Portland and realize that that also satisfies my desire to, like, go to a museum in the afternoon and walk into a coffee shop. Right. Yeah, and stroll back to where I live. Portland
0: is an amazing city. It's an
1: amazing city. I mean, because it's kind of
0: like all the... As someone who moved here from New York and then has lived in Portland for about 10 years, it's like having all the things of New York, but just in smaller doses or smaller serving sizes. Um, So there aren't as many choices for each thing, but all the choices are present. Like, all the food groups are there. But... But there aren't as many, many choices.
1: Is. You have there aren't so many contemporary art museums, but you have one great one. Right. Yeah.
0: Right.
1: So what are you doing here this summer? I have this data set that a professor in the neuroscience department was given. I'm making noise, aren't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so. There have been a lot of articles recently, I think, about this heroin opioid epidemic that's taking over New England. It's really a crisis, um, a public health crisis, but is in many ways being criminalized as a criminal issue. And many, many states in the country have programs where they will provide doctors, share information with other doctors about patients who are receiving these prescription medicines that are scheduled by the Drug Administration. but. To our knowledge, Maine is the only state that also shares with doctors criminal records, so you could see whether your patient has been arrested for possession of opioids or possession of. Um,
0: oh, I had no idea. Yeah,
1: about that. we're really yeah at the fore. It's a nonprofit that is sort of is the organ organize this, um, but we're really at the forefront of that, and so mm-hmm. he has. This data he has this data set from the organization of who, where the arrests are happening. So I'm working with him, and he's been doing sort of an article reviewing whether it it's yeah. impact, And I'm looking. Who's the professor that's doing nice. Professor Piper in the neuroscience okay. pr- program. Yeah, and then I'm also working with Crystal Hall, who's in the digital and computational study. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing some GIS mapping of that data, or learning GIS. was so really mostly what I'm doing right now. I was gonna say, how much uh,
0: did you have a lot of these? skill, did you have no, the skill no, set? No, no,
1: I don't even, I think honestly when I would write Excel at the bottom of my resume, that was stretching it, you know, but.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so how did you come to be doing what you're doing this summer?
1: He sent out an e- I'm interested in, I think I'd like to do something in public <coughs> health and, and understanding and looking at big data like this and understanding mm-hmm. epidemics, it seemed like a really awesome way to get a sense of whether that may be something I'm interested in. And he, he sent an email to the to the pre health some some pre health list and mm. I responded and and yeah from there we just started talking.
0: That's really cool. So what have you learned so far? What have are you able to say anything yet about where these arrests are happening? Or are you not ready to say anything? Well, I've out just loud?
1: spent so much for <laughs> the past few weeks just grooming this data because it <clears throat> the way that because it's inputted by police officers. Sometimes they write street names for drugs. Sometimes they misspell the drug names, and, and that means it doesn't. Sometimes, yeah, they, when someone's arrested for multiple drugs, sometimes they put them all together or they separate them. So I'm just spending a, a lot of time trying to standardize all of it in some way that is useful. But it is clear, right? I mean, over 70% of arrests, I think, um, and this is, bar- there are no, they don't put in arrests for marijuana possession, but involve heroin, which is crazy. Wow. There's so much heroin in the state, and there's so many opioids. When is the, what is the time frame of this data set? They started, uh, people started in, it started in 2013, so really recently. Wow, so 2013 until now, but almost all are heroin. A huge percentage of wow. are heroin, and after that
0: opioids, yeah. Wow. Do you see much of the heroin epidemic here in Brunswick?
1: I don't see it at in I, mean, I was going to say, yeah, have, you ever, never heard have of, you ever heard of or anyone heard doing, heroin? doing heroin? But looking at this data set, there are totally arrests that are happening in, in Brunswick for, yeah, for all these drugs. For possession and for trafficking of all these drugs.
0: Um, but you've never... Which is like, yeah. But you haven't seen, in terms of you're like going out and about, riding your bike, going for a run, these are no, not things no. that are
1: obvious to yeah. you. Yeah, which I think says something interesting about... A bubble within the bubble that we kind of yes. live in. And that yeah. they're... Like, even I think it's so interesting that on, fed, on federal street, there's we have both the president of Bowdoin College's house and a family um, shelter, like, six doors away from each other. And hmm. that, yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's one.
0: What is most important to you? And then, so this is not one of the official questions, yeah. but I'm going to include it, is... So what's most important to you as president of Bowdoin Student Government? And I was not on campus last yeah. year, to hear your, your campaign and your platform, so I, I may be asking you things that you had spent a lot of time articulating, and I just was not around for them, but I'm curious um, where you stand today. On what's most important as yeah. the
1: president of Bowdoin students? What really made me for a long time it's a lot, it's a lot of work. For a long time, I thought about that maybe it was too kind of too much to undertake, but something happened this past semester that really, it was the way Bowdoin student government totally fundamentally changed, and it became this space that people went to to talk about what was happening on campus, and it became a space that everyone could be present in, which was really remarkable, and I think it's something that no other space or department or group on campus could really offer you this sort of neutral space that when the tequila party had happened, um, and there were there was potential for someone to be well there was there were a lot of conversations that were happening, there was a lot of anger and frustration and deep hurt and this I there was this idea that kind of came about that there was a silent majority, that really most of Bowdoin, you know, didn't care about or didn't wasn't offended by this, um, but they they were just silent. But that, that was really the majority, and I think these meetings showed both that there was that sentiment that hadn't spoken before, but also that um, that this was a place that, that 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 everyone could respond in and and speak openly and candidly and respectfully in that nobody else could really offer, and I think that that's really exciting, and I would love to make this a space more that we as a campus can use to talk about issues that isn't tied to the administration, it's not tied to a particular club or group or space on campus that's charged in some way. Hmm. But it's sort of a daunting prospect trying to facilitate a conversation like that.
0: I think this Mm -hmm. is
1: the first perspective I've heard talking
0: about the issues of cultural appropriation that happened on campus last year that interpreted how a positive could come out of it, yeah. right? And, I, and I'm not saying that you're being naive at all, but that you have identified this space as a place of potential, and that makes so much sense to me why you would want to be to, yeah. a part of that.
1: To me, I think really what we need to learn, to, or what I feel like maybe as a campus we need to learn to do, is that there needed to be more of a reaction that, that first said some like people are hurting, or some and even if they're not hurting, like it's not really their responsibility to be angry about it. But we need to objectively understand that this was um, hurtful and wrong, and respond to that with compassion. And then we also need to move forward and think about how we, as a campus, are going to move forward constructively around this issue and create better programming and better administrative support around these issues. And both of those things need to happen. I think this for the second one, PSG is a really important way to do that. Hmm.
0: That's great. Yeah. I'm s- excited. So do you have ideas about what you might do to make some of these things happen?
1: happen? I think people don't really understand what student government is or like who their representatives are. Um, and I think, just, I think Danny and Michelle did a really good job of that this past year of just sending out more emails and when things happened, responding and, off, and offering clear resources um, and, and making more clear that there are appointed people on BSD that look into issues around academic affairs or student affairs and, and making people on student government more of an accountable resource. Because I you know there are so many students who say things like, well, of course we should get credit for, for science labs. But, and which is, I think, a brilliant idea, and most of our peer institutions do it. But people don't really know that there's actually someone you could talk to in BSD. That's really their responsibility, and who mm. has you know, a weekly meeting with the Dean of Academic Affairs who could really bring this up and start to move the conversation forward. So I hope that we can make us ourselves a lot more accessible to all of the student ideas and visions that already exist.
0: When students serve on committees... Uh, faculty yeah. committees, are they drawn from the ranks of BSG? Or no, do you but know we how?
1: select them. So we. I did oh, that this spring. Okay, we 90, that's what I was. very yeah, curious, n- like n- how we Ninety students applied. Okay. And we interviewed every single one of them. No way, really. I had I no know, idea really? how this <laughs> happened. So wait, <laughs> my I'm first rookie move. Okay. <laughs> first of all, what the interviewing? It everyone, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. No. ninety people is really silly.
0: Um, but just for people who might be listening and not understand. So Bowdoin is um, faculty-governed, um, which means that our uh, that it's not unir. we don't have unilateral decisions made by our board of directors, or our president, or our academic dean. Um, the faculty has committees that they're charged with certain kinds of work, or we can bring up different kinds of issues, and then uh, they go through a process where um, they will ultimately be voted on by the um, faculty and they either can be enacted as a result of the faculty vote or can be brought to the appropriate uh, people, whether that's yeah. the, uh, the board or the dean or something like that. So on many of these committees, um, if it's something that relates to students, like for instance the Curriculum Implementation Committee um, or the Student Affairs Committee um, or Student Life Committee, I can't remember, but, or, and then there's like a Committee
1: for Diversity. Diverse Environment, yeah. An Environmental, for, yeah. Yeah,
0: so on many of these, um, a student or two students will sit on this committee as well. So, okay.
1: Yeah. Now that
0: we've got that out of the way, how
1: I've always wondered, how do they appear? So tell me how that happens. We sent an application to the entire student body, and 90 people replied. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. Yeah. It's an awesome opportunity. Yeah. I think people see that. Um, and then we, we split our... There are eight of us on the executive committee, so we split ourselves into two because we realized 90 was ambitious during reading period. was um, <laughs> So, poorly planned. But, uh, yeah, we interviewed... We interviewed all 90 of them, and it was really, it was a, a, kind of an awesome experience to hear nine, you know, 90 people talk about why they cared about Bowdoin, why they wanted to, to sort of be the voice of students and advocate for students, and why they felt like they were ready to do that. Hmm. And yeah, maybe,
0: yeah. Was there a theme you heard across those 90 interviews? Or any, com- maybe yeah. not a theme, or just commonalities?
1: a lot of students talk about feeling the sense of community here as very strong and feeling like I remember multiple students sort of explaining that that was why they felt like because they felt so connected to so many parts of student life in all sorts of different realms that that would really make them ready to speak for a lot of students mm. and I think they were being really honest in that like, sense mm. of connection which was really cool
0: Did anyone talk about something in their interview that really surprised you or took you aback? You don't need to reveal that who that person is, but
1: I thought, there were just, there were a few people who there are, you know there are so many committees people are applying to, and most students select like ten you know they mm-hmm. and there were a few students and who just said, "This is the one committee I want to serve on, please don't consider me for any others. I care really deeply about this hm and I really admired it because it, it was it, this the to be on a committee wasn't from like this resume building angle. It was really this pointed interest in some part of Bowdoin's community that was really. I don't know. It was really cool to see people like, "No, this is just really what I want to do, and did and you, nothing else." Yeah, we, did you, did pretty much all of them, them we gave. Them <laughs> <everything>
0: to, <laughs> all right, so people who are listening. Yeah, that's, that's the, what you want. That's, this, that's yeah. the yeah. That's the way to go. So, what does a liberal arts education mean to you?
1: I think it means that when someone asks me my major, I get to say, "Well, I'm a government and legal studies major, but I take a lot of science classes because I want to do something in public health. Um, and I'm also an education minor, but I might be a gender and women's studies minor, depending on which classes are offered my senior year. And it's said I get to yeah, I get to create this whole little the package of myself of all of the incredible courses I've been able to take and opportunities I've had Mm. that really get to reflect my academic interests that I don't think really fall into one major and I don't really have to make them.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say, is it seems like public health is a perfect example of how you can bring so many disciplines to bear on a kind of question. Is your interest in public health primarily around women's issues based on your... Connection to the Women's Resource Center, or
1: it is, is it... in a lot of ways. I interned at Planned Parenthood last summer, which was a wild time to be there. Yes, um, because yeah, every every day we came to work, I was like, well, maybe we'll have funding, maybe not. Right. You know? uh, but I don't know whether I want to do it from more of a epidemiological angle, or a medical as a medical professional, like some sort of provider, or on a more policy angle, which is why I take all sorts of classes. That's really cool. What do you wish your
0: professors knew about you?
1: I really want to go out to have lunch with them. <laughs> do you want to
0: go off campus? No, or or i to go, go to go yeah. So also for people who might not know this, um, Bowdoin has an incredible uh, program where professors get um, these cards where they can go out to a meal for free if they are with students. Yeah. And at at the dining halls and the dining halls have delicious food. And so if you go and spend your meal time with a student, you could eat you for free, free in perpetuity, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have re-upped my cards um, many times. Yeah. Well so, I, yeah, so why do you want to go out to you know? So why do you want to go out to lunch with a professor? Are you looking to suck up and get better grades? I don't yeah, think exactly. that's you, no, Harry. I think
1: Part of it is that there are courses that I take that I realize like I'm not. I took this Islam and Politics class that was really eye opening this past semester, but I don't think I'm really gonna go into Islam and Politics or even take another course about and about Islam and Politics. So, but I want to talk. But I want to know more about like what books I should be. What my professor is reading. What are the next books I should read, or what is she thinking about, or who does she really like who might write an op-ed soon, or what are the ways that kind of, in a non-academic way, she think continues to think about these issues, and that I can kind of keep them part of my life, without necessarily taking more courses about them. And I feel that way about so many classes I take. Hmm. I just want to have this kind of perspective about the world now. But I'm not maybe gonna have a career around this issue, right?
0: what are some of the best lunches you've gone out to with people? Have you so have you been well, able I to only, go out?
1: Okay, so this is part of why I'm saying is because I only learned about this program this in the past this past spring. What are you talking about? Yeah, well, that, that's free for professors. Yes. Yeah, that's why we had it. We had a BSG. We tried to run a week that promoted students because I don't think most <coughs> students know. I think students feel weird because they don't know if the professor has to pay or if they're supposed to pay. No, nobody right. mentions this. Yeah, but I had lunch with Professor Smith, who, uh, yeah, it was really wonderful to, to talk just to talk to her about. Yeah, the books we've been reading and and what course had you taken with her? Making sex a science, um, and. And the ways of the books we were reading were connected to our own, like h- um, sex ed in high school. Mm. Um, the way that was connected to her, you know, thinking about her daughter, and it was just nice in that way to kind of broaden the scope of mm. what we've been talking about in class to the I don't want to say the real world, but to something a little bit more tangible in some ways. We didn't have
0: lunch when you were uh,
1: first when yeah. you were
0: first year in the contemporary American education. No. I'm
1: stunned. Did I usually do you have usually, lunch with a lot of students? I, f- I don't
0: think so. Sorry, yeah. I don't know. And I usually even advertise that I'm available.
1: I wish more professors, especially for first years, did
0: that. Right, just so to say, right? I, hey, yeah. like let's
1: let's get lunch. Or let's... two of you ask me, you know, if that's less.
0: Right. Sometimes it's both less um, putting feeling like anyone's on the spot for both. It can either yeah. make the professor feel more comfortable or the students feel more comfortable so and lunch, or yeah. could just feel more um, efficient right yeah but if you can get together um I often like to bring people together to who I think might like especially I first years and sophomores I like to bring together and say I think
1: you two would you like each other you set me up other- on a lunch date I totally remember that I, can't I did yeah it was a senior my freshman year I think we were writing a paper about a similar topic yeah, oh, that was great.
0: Was I present, or did I just no, set you, you just guys up? up.
1: But it was so nice to have a reason that, as a freshman or first year, I yeah. would ask a senior to have lunch with me.
0: Oh, was it maybe because were you taking the education in the human conditioning I think course? That's what it was. Yeah. That makes
1: sense. I think that's what it that was. makes sense. That's another nice thing.
0: Well, right, it is nice when you're taking courses beyond the the one on one the yeah. level that you then get to sort of be in a space with people who you might not connect with otherwise, Um, whether it's because of, usually because of your year, especially at the first year year, you feel, I think that there's sort of this stratification that happens and and then it becomes much more porous.
1: Um, But there's something nice too about when you're, when your head's so in a paper and you just sit in HL and you write it all the time and then you're just kind of, you're just going to send it off to a professor to take that moment to have lunch with someone who's writing about a similar thing and sort of to talk about it out loud. It's kind of nice. That's what we did, I remember.
0: And you know, that's what real scholars do, yeah. right? You <laughs> yeah, know, and that's exactly. sort of nice of whenever yeah. you can engage in the kind of work that is the basis of scholarship um, beyond cranking out papers for a professor. For professor yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and just handing them off without anyone really, yeah. So why don't we have lunch next semester?
1: Oh, let's let's do lunch. Okay. okay. All right.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Thank you.